When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A one, a two, a one, two, three, four. <laughs> Another beautiful day on the Victor Bravo Golf Course. The sun is shining, the birds are about, and there's a sudden buzz in the crowd. Michael Michelson steps up to the tee box. 15th hole here, driver's recommended. <laughs> oh, is he a caveman? Because it's suddenly come that one. What do you reckon, George? <laughs> I mean, did he hit that with the dictionary? Because that was a terrible read. <laughs> G'day, this is Golf. Andrew Datto is my name and I'm in Melbourne this week uh, for the Golfing General Managers Conference. It's the general managers and the superintendents, of course, supers. So GMA and ATSMA. In fact, it's all turf and they've all come together to talk about the game of golf and turf and how it all works. And wouldn't you believe it, I've met some brilliant people, uh, two of which I'm chatting to today. One is Barry West. He's the golfing manager of Molly Mook Golf Club. He's travelled the world extensively, opened various facilities, and he's a golf pro as well. And also Mario Funsale. So he's the head pro at Molly Mook. He's South African. He's also travelled the world. He's coached with Butch Harmon. He's coached with Ernie Els. And he finds himself via marriage and other circumstances in Molly Mook with Barry. So Barry and I got to play at Royal Melbourne. I know, perks of the job. Gee, it was good. Uh, And Barry's got a quirk with his game, which he's had since the age of 17 or 16. um, And that is that he can't chip. So that's where the conversation starts. His inability, inability to chip and how he deals with it or doesn't deal with it. And it's fun. Uh, And then we just talk about lessons and life and golf and um, I think you're really going to enjoy this this chat. It goes around the world. Harmon, Els, even Shanking. This is golf. Barry, you're an ex- professional i'm i'm what i call the clayton's pro i've been a golf pro since i was 16 but i haven't played like one since i was 19 but i'm technically still a professional how did you come to golf um my father actually was a general manager of a golf club um up in brisbane so i actually lived in the back of the clubhouse at victoria park golf club so i grew up literally 
all my best mates were like 30 years older than me when I was a kid. <laughs> and I just grew up in golf. All right, so you played from the age of... Uh, what, four. Right. I started playing when I was four and okay. turned pro when I was 16. Okay, so when did you know you were good? Um, oh, I knew I was sort of good enough to play or to become a pro when I was a, a teenager. I sort of... I play. I turned the year I turned pro was the same year as John Senden. Uh, Ron Pampling was the year behind me. Greg Norman was the best thing that ever happened to golf uh, at the time in the uh, late eighties. But I could never so beat on, my so, friends. So we, was he? You were playing at the same time as Norman. Yes. You were a junior at the same time as Norman. Yeah, junior. Yeah. Right. So what was? I mean, given the state of the world and Norman now, what was? Were there inklings then of the now? Ah. Uh, Oh, no. I mean, I was obviously just a, a young fellow, so I didn't know him. Oh, okay. um, yeah. The, the only time I got to meet him, uh, I think he played the Palmetto's Cup and his caddy carried the bag and it, his bag hit me between the legs. <laughs> so that was my first uh, recollection of getting near Greg oh, Norman. Oh, OK. Sorry, I thought, I thought you were saying that you actually you were a junior at the same time. Um, uh, where did you realise you weren't going to make it as a pro, as a, as a playing pro? On the pro? tour. Yeah, on the tour. I worked that out pretty quick. Um, there's a lot of golf pros that still haven't worked that out, but I, I worked it out very <laughs> early, very early in the day. Um, I had a little bit of a, a situation with my chipping. So I used to be okay as a kid, but uh, all of a sudden, you know, when I got to a, a really tight lie, I tended to struggle. And uh, when I'm in struggle, I would knife it or hit a foot behind it and bounce over the top of it. And it was quite entertaining for everyone I played with, but it wasn't really fun for me. So I thought... So what age was this? Uh, it was about halfway through my traineeship. So I was about 17, 17, 18. And then I finished my traineeship when I was 19. I played Pro-Ams solid for one year. And I thought, that'll do me, I'm done. Right. So I went into teaching. My first job was at Club Med. Yeah. Um, so that was quite interesting when I was 20. Um, Probably stories I can't really say now, but uh, it was good fun. Okay. We, we played as part of the General Managers Conference, so we played at Royal Melbourne, uh, which is one of the great places, obviously, to play, but all, there's so much opportunity to hit different shots into greens, and especially the chipping. So before we hit off, your pro at Molly Mook said, oh, you're going to have a great day, wait till you see him chip, and, and sort of <laughs> laugh like this. But you... You, with given lots of opportunities to chip, you didn't chip once, like literally. Uh, well, yeah, like, I think I chipped once around a bunker. Um, I think you putted around the bunker. I did that once too, but yeah, <laughs> that was, I thought you didn't see that one. Um, so yeah, I try and avoid chipping at all costs. Um, look, at Mollymook we have kaikuya grass, and it's been so wet since February. We've had preferred lie now for you know four and a half months, or whatever. So you're always preferring your lie basically onto a tee, on the Kaikuya. Whereas Royal Melbourne, it's a magnificent course and it's like playing off a marble table on the fairway. So, yeah, what happens between my right and my left ear when I stand over the ball, there's a lot of things going on and none of them are very good. Right. So, in, in all seriousness, what happens in your... Because chipping is really difficult, right? So, if, and you're a, you know, a professional golfer with access to professional golfers for help. So what actually happens in your head? Like, oh, I think I might need to lie down on the couch. Um, are, are you, do you, and are you okay? To, <laughs> like, do you mind talking about it? Like, 
Oh, no, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, my hands start sweating. So what no, happens... No, do, 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 do your hands really start sweating? Yeah, yeah literally. There's an, literally. There's an exposed cable somewhere that you're about to touch. Yeah, it's like because if I do have to chip, it's like I get electrocuted at impact. So a lot of people get worried because I have to wear knee pads. My knees hit the deck on the downswing. It's horrendous to watch and it feels terrible. But I just sort of go with the flow. I'm used to it now. Like when I play Molly Mook, if I ever have to chip over a bunk or something, members drive their carts from other holes yeah. and all surround like a gallery just to watch the entertainment. So yeah. I'm used to it, but when I'm playing a new course, it, it can start from the tee. So if I'm on a really long par four and it looks a bit tight, so I'm on the tee thinking, or oh, don't miss the fairway, because if I miss the fairway, then I'm probably going to miss the green. And if I miss the green, I've got to chip and my hands start sweating and my heart starts pumping, mm. like I've you know, just run a 100-metre dash. Um, really, like really? Oh yeah, yeah. It's horrendous. I yeah, can't <laughs> I can't work out if you're joking or. No, no, I do. I get actually, yeah, I and, get and a bit anxious. Okay. I mean, I must so, clarify. I'm playing off four point five now. Is my GA handicap? So I and, still manage to get so it around just to somehow. You. you, you didn't see him chip at Royal Melbourne. His current chipping action is one-handed with his eyes closed. That's how he chips at the moment. Oh. This is Mario Van Ziel, who's the head pro at Molly Mook. We're going to get to Mario in a minute because his story and his teaching story in South Africa and with Butch Harmon and Ernie Els, it's, that's amazing. But I just want to get this chipping business <laughs> sorted. Yeah, well, yeah, I think we're going to run out of daylight to sort it. But, um, yeah, I, do, I literally, when I get over the ball, if I've got a chip off a tight lie... I literally, my, my hands start sweating and my heart starts beating much quicker than normal. Um, I mean, you know, I, and I just think very bad things. All I can really picture is hitting it fat or thin. There's no good shot that pops into my head. But if I'm on a fluffy lie, I can sort of, I'm okay. I can sort of take it back and make contact. But if I'm off a really tight lie... Yeah, I just want to pick it up and take a wipe. Okay, is it a... And so, as Mario was saying then, like, with the eyes closed, one-handed, right-handed, left-handed? I go, I've tried I've tried all sorts. I've tried left-handed. Um, but, yeah, now at the moment, I found the secret. I'm, I'm, I'm chipping one hand with my right hand, um, and it was sort of going okay, but I, every now and then got a little bit yippy. But then I closed my... <laughs> A bit, well, when I say <laughs> a, a little bit is a bit more, yeah, it's a lot, very yippie. Um, but then I, um, I close my eyes because I've taught people with the yips. I don't teach much these days, yeah. but I have, you know, people come to me and they say, oh, I've got the chipping yips. I'm looking around to see my mates from like <laughs> the 1990s going, oh, this is a G up. But yeah, unfortunately, I've had to teach people the yips and nobody knows, but I've never actually demonstrated in a lesson how to hit a chip, but there's, I've mastered the perfection of teaching a half-hour lesson and not hitting one ball, and they don't even know because I've done it for that long. So, so have, have you sought help for, for yourself? I mean, obviously, yeah. like you, you, clearly you love the game of golf and you're clearly a very good driver of the ball and, you know, you've got a very good golf game to be playing low single figures. So you must have sought, I'm, I'm assuming you would have sought help to get it right. Uh, y- yes, yes, I have. Uh, it, well, it's, it's a bit scary to go to another pro and say, oh, can you try and fix this? And after they see actually what's going on, they don't want to watch anymore because they're scared they're going to catch it. So it's like a disease. Um, so this happened, you know, 
you know, I've played with some good players. You know, I'm I'm a good mate with Terry Price. We played a lot together. Um, you know, and he used to turn away and look the other way every time I had to chip because he said I, he said I don't want to catch that. Like that, that looks scary. So, but I've I've been to you know a funny story. Just touch on it. There was a PGA um, Queensland or Australian PGA show it was up at Twin Waters there um, about, about five years ago now. So one of the guest presenters was uh, Michael Breed, who's got his own golf show in America. Quite, quite a famous coach. Um, so he's there, and in between a session, I was standing near a chipping green there, and he's just walking past. I said, I've got a challenge for you. He says, oh, what's that? I said, I've had the yips since I was about 17. And he said, oh, well, that's the uh, chipping yips. He said, yeah, we can fix that. So I said, right, yeah. So he says, I'll get your sandwich. I said, well, I haven't chipped with more loft than a six iron for about 10 years. So... I got the sand iron out and he put it on a tight lie. I said, no, I can't do that. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, it's too tight. I said, I wouldn't hit the sand iron as long as my rear end points to the ground from there. So he says, no, no, we'll be fine. So first shot, I knifed it. I thought, well, that's not too bad. I went forwards. Um, <laughs> next one, I sort of chili dipped, you know, bounced behind it, then knifed it. Next one, I sort of bounced over the top of it, just nicked the top of the ball, you know, and... He's standing there and then he starts teaching me to pull my hands around my body, you know, around my left hip. So I start doing that and he didn't realise, I had sunglasses on, we were out in the you know, middle of the day there, so he didn't realise after about six goes, I actually closed my eyes and I hit one not too bad. Like I opened my eyes and thought, well, where'd that go? But I got it to about six feet and he said, see, that's better. But I wasn't game enough to tell him. <laughs> I had my eyes shut. So... Um, and that's when I thought, I think I'm onto something. I, if I shut my eyes, I'm half a chance here. So, because mentally, when I shut my eyes, the fear sort of goes because I can't see what I'm doing. Mm. I have had the odd occasion I open my eyes and the ball's like a foot in front of me. Um, so I do get electrocuted impact every now and then when my eyes are shut too. But it's normally, it's normally okay with my eyes shut because closing my eyes takes away what's going through my head when I look at a tight lie. So the hands don't sweat. My heart doesn't pound like 200 beats a minute. So I can sort of do it a little bit with my eyes shut. But again, going back to that lesson with Michael, you know, one of the best coaches in the world, and he just kept saying, you know, pull the, hand, pull the hands around to the left because I naturally hit a draw with my full swing. So I tend to swing a bit inside out, um, which is okay if you allow for it. But with chipping, mm, not so good. So ideally with chipping, you want to get the club sort of going straight back and straight through or actually cutting across the ball. Um, similar to yourself, like you're a genius out of the bunkers, I might add, because your natural swing, you cut across a little bit, magnificent. Um, but for me, I'm the opposite. I go inside out and it just, yeah, it gets very, very ugly. Like you shouldn't be attacking it so far from the inside for a straightforward chip shot. Right. But I have no choice. That's what happens. So when you give someone a lesson, a chipping lesson, and yes. you don't talk to them, do you, do you not heed some of those thoughts? Or is it literally... Like beyond that possibility. Oh, yeah, yes, beyond that. Oh, yeah. clearly it is. Sorry. I, I, yeah, it's just between yeah between my ears. Like you know, if if if, if anyone's had the shanks, you know, mm. um, they know that it, once it gets in your head, once you get the the first shankopotamus, I call them, and then it just keeps going. Yeah, and it gets in your head, and you you just look at you look down and all you can see is just hitting a socket and the ball going sideways in yeah. your head well so one of the guys we on Saturday on the when we played at Royal got a, an attack of the shanks yes um 
And he goes, I knew I was going to do that. And I went, yeah. oh, my God, I know that. I know what I'm going to shank as well, right? Yeah. And it is a process that you get around. I just want to um, bring Mario in. So, Mario, you're the head pro at Molly Mook. Obviously, you and Barry, I'm guessing, not obviously, but I'm assuming you play together. And have you not tried to help? Oh, yes. I've tried many times. Um, we've tried many different little techniques, putting tees this way and putting a, a, a ball on the inside of another one. And yeah, about I hit all the balls. One out of <laughs> one out of five is good, yeah. but then it goes back to being electrocuted. So I've given up. Okay. <laughs> now, listen, your your golfing history is quite extraordinary. I mean, you've coached literally around the world. How did how did you come to the game? Um, yeah, I I wasn't really involved in golf at all. My dad played. Um, I was more a skateboarder and, and a surfer and more the, try to be a cool kid. Yeah, um, whereabouts? In Johannesburg. Grew up in Johannesburg, South Africa. And um, my dad played golf. My dad was a sporting family. My mum was a hockey player. My sister was a netball player. My dad was a professional cyclist. Played golf every weekend and started dragging me to golf when, when I was 14. And, yeah, kind of liked it. Started getting good at it. Um, started playing a little bit on the junior circuit with Charles Watzel and, and Thomas Aiken. That that was my pedigree, yeah. And yeah, I, I sort of like like similar to Barry, figure it out pretty early that when I played with these guys, when we're both on, we're both good. But when there's a bad round happening, I'm way behind. So I decided early in my life, <clears throat> instead of going the playing the playing route, I'll go the coaching route. So after school, went to America to go work on the summer camps a little bit, yeah, just to coach there. And then moved to Dubai, where we um, opened a the first Troon facility that I worked at, uh, the Montgomery, Colin Montgomery Design. And the coach that was there, Wayne Johnson, was sort of my first mentor. He, um, he worked with Butch Harmon in the Bahamas when they just started with Tiger. And... Um, yeah, we, we had a quite a, good, a few good stories there. He obviously a British guy, so he knew Westwood and Darren Clark and those guys came to practice there. And through sort of the next four years, I found my feet teaching, just shadowing Wayne and, and understanding the, the trades of the, or the tricks of the trade with coaching. And moved around a little bit, different facilities in Portugal and London and had a great opportunity to go back to Dubai to work with um, the, the Ernie Els group. Yeah. Ernie was working with Butch at the time. Yeah. So in 2009, we opened the Butch Harmon School of Golf on Ernie's golf course in Dubai called the Els Club. And so does that mean that you... Sorry to interrupt. Does that mean you'd have to learn that? Is there a Harmon method? Is there something that you have to sort of... A, a certain way to approach lessons? Yeah, well, uh, funny you say that. Before I was allowed to, to even enter the doors there, I, I had to go with um, Claude, who obviously came over with Butch to run the academy, um, and we had to go to Vegas to spend a week with Butch to understand his philosophy. So we traveled around Vegas, went to Dallas, picked up a few bits of equipment, went to the, the Titleist Performance Institute in, in San Diego. And yeah, absolutely, you, you got to get on board with you know, their philosophy. And basically the shorts of it is 
Butcher's philosophy is there's no one way to swing the golf club. <laughs> His philosophy is there is no philosophy. So there's, so there's not... Absolutely. Okay. To, well, both, you know, both Butch and Claude, not, neither of them are PGA professionals, which you, you read all these manuals and there's certain ways to do certain things and, and for them, absolutely not. You, you adapt the swing to each individual. Um, you allow them to use their bodies the way that they physically can, and, yeah. and that's where they're so brilliant. Um, every, I mean, you look at the swings they've worked with, the, the Jim Furyks and, and, and those and Davis Love, you know, completely different golf swings, but they know exactly what to work on to fix everything at once. Okay. Rather than so, so does that mean that the, the delivery me- mechanism, right? So, because they all say you can have a different swing, but when the club gets to the ball, it's got to be this. It has to be the same. Is that what you what you mean? Is is that is that the truth of it? Or well, <clears throat> obviously, when the club gets delivered to the ball, it has to be square. Mm. Um, now, whether unless, unless you're chipping with Barry, whether it's square to the target or. Whether it's square to where you're aiming, if it's left or right of the target, if you can do that consistently, obviously that's what you're trying to do. But that two feet before impact is probably the most important part that the Harmon family look at. And if you can deliver the club through that section there with consistency, then whatever else you're doing in your golf swing doesn't matter. Um, So, I mean, the foul is... Ricky Fowler's taking it so far inside, but he delivers it square to the ball. So if you can generate enough speed, why not? Interesting, the, the first time Butch met Tiger, 1993, was standing on the range and he saw this young lanky kid hit balls. We've got video of it. Um, <clears throat> probably 65 kilograms tall, lanky kid. And Butch, all Butch said to him is, can you hit it harder? And ball after ball, Tiger just hit it as hard as he could. He said, this, this kid's got potential. So, you know, as, as coaches, you see, the, you see people uh, coaching kids and asking them to try and control their feet and control their swing. And absolutely not. You look at the, the golf swings of today, you know, the Brysons, the the Shambos and those, those types. Yeah, and like Fitzpatrick the other day, you know, winning mm-hmm. the both feet off the ground when they hit it. So, yeah, hit it as hard as you can when you're young because there's certain growth spurts in your life where you can only train speed and power when you're sort of that age. And if, you, if you're denying kids of you know, growing strength and power, yeah. you're taking it away from them. So, yeah, you know, the, the philosophies have changed throughout the years and I think they were onto it early days with Tiger because Tiger sort of sent, set the benchmark with fitness in golf and look where it is today. So you've taught um, pros who've, you know, had success. What's that like as a coach? Is it one of those, like, what... I mean, obviously, they're, they're the ones swinging the club and hitting the ball, but as a coach, what, what responsibility and joy do you get there? Well, I think... Um, <laughs> I think saying that I taught co- or coached tour players, yeah, I'd probably on, be, still be on tour if I did it. Um, at a at a high level, yeah. I've been involved in helping around coaching good players. Um, we had a really good relationship with with Peter Cowan in in Dubai and um, Rory's coach Michael Bannon at the time, where they would all come in with their players and we would assist them, you know, okay. with the facility and, yeah. and Peter Uline 
spend a lot of time with us before he went on tour and, and it was great helping him um, and it's fantastic like you, you, know, you, you see very small improvements but the consistency builds and then all of a sudden these guys jump on tour and win, win events so yeah fantastic phenomenal experience yeah. so you went from Butch and then you end up with the L's mob you know uh, in Dubai so started with, with the L's mob in Dubai opening the golf club yeah. and then opened the Butch Harmon school at the same golf club oh, okay. on the opposite side of the range and then ran into an Australian bird and got married and she wanted to go home so we um, 2012 we got married and she said I've had enough of Dubai um, so we slowly started moving east um, on the way to Australia, stopped over in Vietnam where Ernie Els had another project that they wanted me to help, another Troon facility, um, and that was a teaching academy. I spent 18 months there before I um, jumped over the pond and into Australia where I met Barry for the first time. Yeah. And he's got his own sort of <laughs> <laughs> coaching styles. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, he's been, he's been probably a little bit more on tour than what I did, coaching. Um, but yeah, I've I've had fun along the way. It's been it's been phenomenal. And is it and is golf and really this is for both of you. Is golf the same around? Is it the same game around the world? You've both been involved literally around the world. Is it the same game? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I've I spent seven years um, teaching Stephen Bowditch. You know, he played yeah. played on tour, won two PGA Tour wins. Yeah. Um, well, he's one of the great stories of. Um, success over mental health as well. That's right, yeah, yeah. I mean, Bado is just a freak, so when you talk about coaching somebody like that, you just let them go. Like, it's all fine-tuning. There's no... You're not reinventing the wheel. Mm. You're just doing little tweaks here and there. Um, and is he... Sorry, is he calling you, uh, you know, end of round three, two shots behind, going, I, I feel, Barry, I feel like I'm sort of getting caught up in the middle, or, or, or is it literally, mate, looks good, knock your socks off? Oh, yeah, we, we had quite a few chats. Um, you know, I travelled a bit with him as well. I, I went over to the States um, three years in a row for sort of six or eight weeks at a time. Um, but, yeah, in between, sure, we'd have a, a few chats or, or a little bit of video would, would come through, yep. you know, as technology was developing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, guys like that, you, you just let them go. I mean, I worked at Corralbin for 15 years. So, you know, Adam Scott went through there, Jason Day... Um, you know, Steve Bowditch, Andrew Buckle, and I saw these guys as kids, you know, on the range, and you just go, wow, like, you, you see them and just go play. Like, just keep hitting balls and go play. Do they stand out, those, those kids? I mean, there must be kids who are as good at the time who don't... Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah. There were some kids that were just as good, but they, you know, when they're teenagers, they tend to go different directions. Yeah, yeah. You know, they, you know, they catch up with mates and they're going a different, you know, path, so... They sort of, you know, I saw some guys that were, you know, should have been superstars, but they just sort of gave it away, really. You know, they got to 18, 17, 18 and thought, well, yeah, I want to go do something else now. Mm. And, you know, off they go. But um, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, I've worked in South Korea, you know, um, China a couple of times. Uh, you know, South Korea, what, what happens over there is just amazing. You know, you've got three-storey driving range. Every bay is booked out, you know. In winter, they have the, you know, what they call the screen golf which is, um, you know, taking off over here with the simulators. But that, that stuff's been going, you know, for a very long time, you know. The floor moves, you know, adjusting your lie, 
and you cannot book in. You've got to book like three months ahead and they go 24 hours a day. Yeah, and, and so it feels like women's golf really, maybe that all sort of caught up at a certain point where, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, mm. suddenly all the best golfers seem to be from South Korea. Yeah. Uh, and they yeah. literally took over the world, right? Yeah. And yeah, I mean, even that little bit that I spend in, in Asia, spend about six months in Xiamen in China, and I've never seen anything like it. They start at seven o'clock in the morning and they hit balls until four o'clock in the afternoon with little mini breaks in between for lunch and, you know, a bit of fruit here or there. And these are kids that's between 14 and 18. The dedication is just through the roof. Um, when we opened this academy in Vietnam, we budgeted, you know, the amount of bays we had with the amount of memberships we sold. We bought 10,000 brand new range balls, tightless range balls. Within three months, we had to replace them because they were just smashed. Um, the level of dedication in, in Asia mm. is phenomenal. And that's why I think we see it. That's yeah. why we see yeah. it. Is that, is, that a fa- is that a family dedication? Is it the, is it the yeah, kids' yeah. dedication or is it the family? Like, oh, it's, it's the family, yeah, it's the family, like for sure. Top, yeah. You know, I taught at this driving range. I was on, the, there was 15 full-time golf instructors at this range in, in Seoul in Korea. I had the, the third floor as far as you could go. Nobody wanted that end. So I got to teach there. Um, I was the only foreigner there. So I was teaching members at, at, from my club, but our club wasn't open yet. It was still under construction. So you know, to be a member there, it was 1.1 million US. So it was a little bit elite. <laughs> and so I would teach my members there privately. But now and then I would have you know someone come up. Obviously, I had a translator with me all the time. Um, and yeah, I remember one day this father was going talking to my translator and it's all happening. And you know, my translator says, oh, you know, you're not supposed to teach people from here that aren't members, but he really wants you to look at his daughter. I said, yeah, right. So I said, sure. So she gets up there, she's about 15. And this is in a driving range. It's like a big bird cage. It's 80 meters long. It's, you know, we're three stories high. It's got the, the ceiling on it as well with the nets. So you're basically in a big bird cage, but you can only hit it 80 metres after that. You don't know where it's going. It's hitting the back of the fence. So anyway, they had these little targets, and literally they were about the size of a dinner plate. So this girl had been... She'd been there for hours already, as, as they do, and just smashing away. So I said, OK, so, yeah, I said, sure, go for it. So I went and had a look. And so I said, oh, you know, what club have you got? She's got five iron. So she's all, all warmed up. She hit this five iron. I said, right, aim at that target, you know, sort of three-quarters of the way up the net and, you know, I'll have a look. She hit that target that's literally the size of a dinner plate that's 80 metres away. She hit it four times in a row. And, and the father's looking at me to say, can you teach her? And I said, no. No. <laughs> like, not, what are you going to do with that? nothing like, to teach them. Yeah. Like, I looked at it and just went, wow. But there was hundreds of them like that. They're just machines. Because they, mm. they just practised so hard at the range... On course, sure, they really struggled a bit with course management stuff because mm. very expensive to play over there. Hence, they get sort of brought up in these golf academies and hitting into a big bird cage. And, but they're just like robots, just hit it so good. And I just went, wow. And, um, you know, you see stuff like that and, you know, um, it's just amazing what they can do. But that's yeah. how they're, they're brought up just like robots, just yeah. bang, 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 bang. Yeah. yeah. And the game is sort of at the pro level looking more robotic, isn't it? The characters oh, are... for sure. I know not as many yeah. characters. Yeah. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. So you said that, Nahan, is this what you said, that Butch is not a qualified PGA coach? That's correct, yeah. Um, officially, he's not a member of the PGA, he's not a qualified instructor, and neither is Claude. Um, so, which is interesting, because, you know, the PGA tries to follow all these theories, and here you are, two of the best coaches in the world, and they follow their own theory. Right. So what does that mean for when you're playing golf and someone goes, hey, mate, mate, you're just a bit on the outside, or it almost validates that, doesn't it? Well, absolutely. Um, you know, Butch's famous line was, well, I don't see any major trophies in, in your studio, so <laughs> he, he validates it that way. Okay. He said, I don't see any, any master's flags hanging in your studio. So, yeah, and he, look, he's, they shoot from the hip. Um, his grandfather, Claude's grandfather was obviously Butch Harmon, who, who won the master's, and I think it was 49. Um, so there's a rich, a rich heritage there for for golf and instruction and, and his uncle is a golf uh, instructor as well and so they sort of validated themselves. Okay, so what happened with the, you talked about the power, right, and Tiger and, and just hit it harder. So did yeah. golf go through a, I mean, I don't know, yeah. you know, I'm a Hogan fan and like I'm, his clubs and his swing and bizzo, but did they go from a quantum shift of a swing to a, to a not a hit, but... Well, we touched on it earlier there where the modern day everybody just hits it so hard. And I think it wasn't new to the game, but I, I certainly think when Tiger came through the scene, he made everybody realise that you can actually be an athlete and you, you should be an athlete to, to play golf. And you know, through my time with the Harmons at, in Dubai as well, we sort of took that on board with the junior programme. We had a junior programme there of about 150 kids, all expats, all mixed um, you know, from all over the world from the age of five all the way through to, to high school. And we certainly ran the sessions in that way where, you know, half hour of the session is purely based on strength training, speed mm. training, agility. For five-year-olds? At, at that level, at a five-year-old level. So it, okay. might, it might be try and jump over a ball or try and kick a soccer ball into a goal or try and throw a baseball into a net. So absolutely, T-ball, try and get a, a tennis racket in their hand, try and diversify every single move that you can make with your body to train speed and to train wow. strength and, and, and only put a golf club in, in their hand once they reach a, a, a technical side of their development. There was a great study that was made in America um, during this period where Tiger came up the scenes where they took two kids voluntarily 
And one of them, they only coached golf. Uh, two seven-year-olds. One of them only played yeah, golf. Start again. They, the, what they, they said voluntarily, right? So, so they said, so two parents have gone, here, take my seven-year-old, yep. put him in this program. That's right. Do what you will. Correct. And we'll see. We'll, in we'll, a sporting, obviously. In, in, <laughs> in, a, in a sporting context, yeah, yeah. yes. So the one kid was purely golf. That's all he did. Golf instruction, golf course, golf practice. Everything was golf. The other kid said, we're not going to teach you any golf just yet. We're just going to allow you to play as many sports as you can and we're going to train you in certain ways to try and use your body as as best you can and as powerful more uh, as the most power you can uh, produce and off they went at the age of 10 the golf the kid that played golf was much better at golf than the other kid because he had no idea what he was doing but he was strong or stronger and then they reconvened this whole exercise and, and continued on, the, on their separate paths. And at the age of 15, they, they did this test again and included a little bit more golf training for the kid that now has never really played golf yeah. and started giving him a bit of technique advice. And all of a sudden, this kid is way stronger. He understands his body way better because he's been playing all sorts of sport. And it only took him another year, and he just excelled way past the other kid, um, right. who was sort of um, pigeonholed into just technique and, and not really understanding how his body works because all he does is play golf. So a lot of parents now allow their kids to just play as many sports as they can mm. and not, not just focus on one to try and make a profession out of it. Perfect example was Ernie Els did it just naturally. He was just a naturally gifted sports person. He played um, national cricket. He played national tennis, mm. and he just happened to pick golf as as his favourite one. I think we're all the better for it. So you've had dealings with Ernie, obviously. You coached <coughs> under his um, under his banner, I suppose. Yep. Um, what's he like? Fantastic guy. Um, I, I almost put him in the same category as Adam Scott. What you see is what you get. Mm. Um, unbelievably humble person. Uh, first, my first doing with, with Ernie, we were playing beach cricket at a beach where, where my family used to go as a 14-year-old. I just took up golf and there's a massive restaurant on the beach there in South Africa called uh, at Mossel Bay. And um, <clears throat> a little rubber ducky came across the water and I thought, well, that's a bit odd. No one really comes from there. And out comes Ernie out of the rubber ducky. And they all wet, obviously, through the ocean there. They weren't allowed in the restaurant. So they came over to us and said, I'll give you 20 bucks for your shirt. Because <laughs> we want to go in the restaurant yeah. and we're not allowed in there. I'm like, well, my shirt's about four sizes too small for you, but sure. I'll, I'll go with that. Can you please sign yours? And I don't, I don't need to take your 20 bucks. And that was my first encounter with Ernie. And so did, did he do that? He did it, yeah. So did he pay the 20? I didn't take the 20. <laughs> I, I was too happy for the signed shirt, yeah. and, and off we went. Um, so that was my first, first dealings with Ernie as a kid, and then opening his facility in Dubai, he remembered that. Um, that was oh, almost 20 years later. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he remembered It sounds that. like something you would remember. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, just, you know, circling back to the development of, of coaching and, and how it's changed over the years, I think... We're all for, for the better when, when everybody realised there's a lot more power to be 
input into the game and strength training is, is a big thing now. You see all these these players with their strength and conditioning coaches, with their, their physios travelling with them. So it's not just about the technique anymore. It's about the combination of hitting it far with you know the allowance of, of technology these days. And I think, it, yeah, it, it's at a good balance. Okay, so as a golf coach who's literally coached around the world in all ages, is there a, you know, should... I get the feeling that it's fine for kids to come to golf later, like instead of trying to grind them from six and seven and go, oh, you're going to be amazing, bring them in later, let them experience a full life and they might even stick with golf longer. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I, I would prefer probably if they get introduced to golf at a, at a young age, but be you know diversify throughout all sports. Don't just play golf only. Mm-hmm. Um, but absolutely, let them go. Let them let them play with a ball. Let them kick a ball. Let them pick up a racket or a bat or, and just play as many sports as you can, and um, understand how your body works before you specialize in one of them. What's 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 Molly look like? What's um, if we're heading south? I mean, yeah, well, we're yeah, we're in a good spot. We're about three hours south of Sydney. We're sort of two and a half hours from Canberra. Um, we're quite unique actually because we have two separate courses and two separate clubhouses. So we've got you know a, a monster clubhouse which is called our beachside course. So we've, we've just just literally dug up the whole nine holes and redesigned it because we want to try and you know, get more people into golf as, you know, we're sitting through these lectures here each day at the moment and it's all about getting more people into golf. So we, um, <clears throat> we, shortened, we shortened the course. So we shortened it down to eight par threes and one par four. Um, now you can get round in, you know, an hour and a half, hour, 45 minutes. You know, the holes go from like 100 to 140. Yeah. So this is sort of a thing, isn't it? You've got the Barn Boogle Run. They've got a 14-hole course. I think Kingston Heath... Yeah. Very elite, obviously, but they've got a, a sort of a short a par three course yeah, now. Yeah. So that's sort of the way, eh? It's the way, yeah. I mean, in America, they're building some courses that are six holes. Six holes. Yeah, yeah right. Six hole courses. You know, I mean, imagine saying that in 1980. I'm going to mm. build a six hole course. Everyone thought you're an idiot. But now, you know, time, everyone's time poor and they just want to zoom around and have yeah. their golf fix and they're done. Get the experience. Um, if there's a, Mario, if there's a one, uh, something we should know about golf... From a playing point of view, what is it like as amateurs? What's the if there's a thing to remember? Given on that Harmon sort of spectrum of you know that we're all different, is there is there a universal? From a coaching perspective, mm. you mean? Well, for a player, you know, for a player, you know, like we're gonna got to do be able to do something well. Yeah, look, I think you need to you need to get your body in a position where you can create <clears throat> at least a little bit of speed. If you can't create speed, you can't get the ball off the ground. Um, so, yeah, try, try and make contact out of the middle and just deliver it with a little bit of speed. doesn't matter how you do it. Yeah, and keep it out of the shade. Because in the shade, <laughs> it's not good. Under the trees, you mean? Yeah. Oh, Mario and Barry, thanks very much. Great to chat to you. Good thanks. stuff. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, thanks mate. Tom. Mario Fonsale, head pro, Molly Mook Golf Club, and Barry West, the golfing manager of Molly Mook Golf Club. I've met some great people in Melbourne at the uh, the GMA conference, and I'll bring you more 
um, over the coming weeks. So thanks for listening. If you've got a story or uh, something to share, you can find me at Instagram at Andrew Datto. Just send us a note. I know how to find them now. (laughs) See ya. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.